We are continuing our worship series today on being at ease in God's world and looking at how practicing the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given helps us to be more at ease in this world that God has created. And so last week we were in 2 Corinthians in the 5th chapter really at toward toward the end of Paul's deteriorating relationship with the church at Corinth. And so we're going back to an earlier stage in that relationship and so we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we will read verses 10 through 17. Listen for the word of God. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I, happened, uh, whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I had a very interesting meeting this week with... um, Beth Leos, who is the Director of Community Outreach for Garland Habitat for Humanity, and then also two other women who are of the Baha'i faith, active in their communities. And we met to talk about how we might cooperate more in bringing about positive needed change in our community. And so one of the women who is in the Baha'i community shared something with us. And I, I had read this a few years back and actually had forgotten about it. But it's called the Charter of Compassion. And it was offered by Karen Armstrong. Some of you may be familiar with her. She is a scholar of religion, has written several notable books. One of, one of them is called The History of God. But Armstrong wrote this and has been trying to develop a community, a global community around this. And I just want to offer some of that language to you. It says, the principle of compassion lies at the heart of all religious, ethical, and spiritual traditions 
calling us always to treat all others as we wish to be treated ourselves. Compassion impels us to work tirelessly to alleviate the suffering of our fellow creatures, to dethrone ourselves from the center of our world and put another there, and to honor the inviolable sanctity of every single human being, treating everybody without exception, with absolute justice, equity, and respect. And I want to ask a wondering question. I wonder if there's anything in that language that you find offensive. Is there anything in that language that you object to? Well, one of the women shared that the community in which she lives, she lives in another city here in the Metroplex, and that the city council of that city had actually been considering adopting this charter of compassion for their city. But there were Christians that objected to it because it did not specifically name Jesus Christ. Yes. So last week, we considered Paul in his relationship with the church at Corinth, this church that he planted, and there were some in the congregation, he mentions Chloe and her people, with whom he was in regular contact But by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, the passage that we heard last week, the relationship between Paul and this congregation had deteriorated to the point that he had decided to not visit them because the visit that he had before with them was painful. But even in the midst of that pain and that strain, he called them to a ministry of reconciliation and says that because God is reconciling the entire universe to God's self through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that those who follow in the way of Christ are also called to the ministry of reconciliation. And it is for all people. All people. So as we go back to 1 Corinthians and we look at an earlier stage of Paul's relationship with the Corinthian community, we see that there are already some issues. Now, some of you um, have heard me talk about about this. Um, I've been doing a Sunday school unit on power And um, so I have been with different Sunday school classes, and we actually have looked at some passages in 1 Corinthians. But it would be really very interesting and humorous to have a reality show based on the Corinthian community. So not only are they arguing amongst themselves about who baptized them, okay? I was baptized by Brother Billy Joe Tate. When I was eight years old, 
So therefore, being baptized by Brother Billy Joe Tate is going to beat anybody else that baptized you guys. That's the nature of the, of the argument. Well, Paul baptized me. Well, Apollos baptized me, and I think that counts for more. And they're arguing back and forth, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. This little church, we're talking tens of people most likely. We're not talking hundreds and hundreds of people. This little church, they're suing each other over different things. They're taking each other to court in Roman courts. Some of them are having extramarital affairs with each other. Can you imagine this going on in, oh, let's say, the Koinonia Sunday School class? Okay? They also are, um, their practice of the Lord's Supper, if you read on in the letter, Paul really takes them to task for this because in, in the early church, the practice of the Lord's Supper always took place within the context of a shared fellowship meal. And so some in this little church uh, were employed in other households as servants or slaves. And so they would not be able to get to the first day of the week worship service on Sunday until their employers let them go. And what was happening was that by the time they got there, all the food was gone and everybody's drunk. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a really interesting reality show. I think that's one that I might watch. And so, even before Paul begins to address some of these issues, in the first chapter, right after his greeting, he begs them to be of one mind and one purpose. And I wonder how, from what well in his body did he pull that from as he was hearing about all of the dissension and all of the mess that was going on in this church? What made him think that that was even possible for this community to be of one mind and one purpose when they're arguing about who baptized them? And all kinds of other things. But yet he calls them to be of one mind. And I like to think that actually he was asking them to fake it until they make it. To fake being of one mind and one purpose until they make it. Okay. I want to unravel that a little bit. So what I want us to be clear on is that being of one mind and being of one purpose does not mean being uniform, okay? It doesn't mean everybody hewing to one doctrinal line. It doesn't mean dissolving the community into sameness and uniformity. And Paul gives us an idea of what he means in chapter 12 when he talks about the body and all of the different members of the body who have different perspectives and different functions, and yet they all work together for the 
well-being and health of the body. So he's not after uniformity here. What he's after is everybody in the community sharing the mind of Christ. And he actually unpacks this a little more in another letter. In Philippians, in the second chapter, and the Philippian community also was dealing with their own set of issues. But in Philippians chapter 2, this is how Paul describes being of the same mind and purpose. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then he breaks into what's called the Christ hymn, where he talks about Christ emptying himself, taking the form of a slave and not claiming equality with God. So that's what Paul is calling the community to do. And it is a call that resonates with this ministry of reconciliation. That being of one mind and one purpose leads to reconciliation, not just within the community, but as the community relates with all who are around it. Yes? But how do we get there? And I think we get there by faking it till we make it. In other words, no amount of sermonizing, no amount of reading, no amount of thinking is going to get us there because we are creatures of habit and creatures that look for comfort. It's in the doing. It's in the doing that behavior is changed. Father Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan, um, his meditations this week, I receive his daily devotions, were about this very thing. And, of course, he was coming at it from a Franciscan point of view. But this is what Father Rohr has to offer on this very topic. We don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. What is ours to do has more to do with our practical engagements and the way we live our daily lives than making verbal assent to this or that idea. So I will encourage you to try something new. Change sides. Move outside your comfort zone. Get lost in the school. So you get a different perspective, right? Make some new contacts. Let go of your usual role and attractive self-image. Walk instead of drive. Make a friend from another race or class. Visit new neighborhoods. Go to the jail or to the border. Then you can live yourself into new ways of thinking. In other words, let's fake unity until we get there. Because God's reconciling work continues, whether or not we choose to get on board with it or not, it continues.
And it is in our actions that God's reconciling activity is made manifest. And it is in our actions that our thinking will be changed. St. Francis is supposed to have said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. (laughs) Only then will we be at ease in God's world. Amen.